chapter 22, and um, we're going through a series leading up towards Easter, um, and we're going through the suffering king, the suffering servant, and um, today the main title of this message is Agony in Prayer, Agony in Prayer. Let's just bow before God as we draw close to him. Father, we pray that you will draw near to us as we come to your word. None of us here can understand your word unless your Holy Spirit gives understanding. Not even the wisest man, the cleverest PhD man, the man with all the qualifications in all the world, Lord, cannot understand your word unless your spirit comes and gives clarity and understanding. So I pray, Lord God, for myself and for Kim as we seek to serve you this morning. Pray that you will help us as we seek to open up and sign and declare your truth. But also pray, Lord, for those who are seated, Father God, that the same spirit that has come upon me this morning, Lord, the same spirit that Kim needs this morning, God, the Holy Spirit will be at broad and shed in every heart in this room. Oh God, we need you this morning. And we pray that you might speak in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, can I remind you that it's Easter in a few, few weeks' time and our nation is doing its very best to try to take Jesus out of Easter. I was in Tesco's the other day and found myself in my favourite aisle, the cake aisle. And as I was looking around, I saw some hot cross buns. I saw some chocolate hot cross buns. I've never seen chocolate ones before. But they were chocolate hot cross buns. But I didn't buy those. I buy the real fruity type ones. Tesco's finest. As I was standing there about to pay for them, I thought to myself, I wonder if anyone knows why there's a cross on the hot cross bun. I wonder if I stopped people in Tesco's and said to them, excuse me, why is there a cross on the hot cross bun? I'm sure many people won't know why today. Because Easter, very quickly, is becoming something that people try to distract themselves. Maybe they're planning an Easter holiday. Or maybe they're on the internet thinking about their summer holiday. But whatever they are doing, they're trying their best not to really think what Easter is really all about. And so we are trying this morning to give an understanding on a Sunday morning, trying to get people here this morning to understand what Easter, what real meaning of Easter is. Now, I really want to get to Jesus' prayer that we've read this morning. But before I can get to Jesus' prayer, I need to stop at the disciples. And so, the first thing I want to say this morning is um, concerning them. Let me have my thing working. Okay, could you um, help me back there, Mike? Yeah, not this one. Yeah, there you go. The first thing I want to say this morning is neglecting prayer. So here we have um, Jesus um, 
saying to the disciples, they come out of the, um, the upper room, they come out of the eating the last supper, and they go into the garden, the garden of Gethsemane, or it's also called the Mount of Olives, and they go in there, and on reaching the place, he said to them, and in two occasions he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. Again, later on, he comes back, and he says, why are you sleeping, he asked to them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Jesus tells the disciples that they need to pray. And he asked them that they need to pray because prayer is not an optional extra. But it's something that is needed. Some people think to themselves that they pray because they want to ask God for something. I can remember after swimming, going into, um, coming out of the swimming, in the foyer, they have one of these um, um, uh, chocolate bar machines. And so I go up to the chocolate bar machine and I see a Snicker bar, 70 pence, but it's quite expensive for me. And I thought to myself, I'm, I'm hungry. I remember when it was 15p back in the day, but, you know, 70p, so I, I put my money in, press the button. And the whiny thing goes round. And all of a sudden, my snicker bar is getting closer and closer to be dropped. Then it stops. I'm just about to grab the machine and give it a shake. But there's all these eight-year-olds all around me waiting to go for after, after me. So I decided to sort of like walk away and be the man and not really want the snicker bar. But all the way home, I'm thinking about that they've done me in. And you know, prayer to some people is like that. They feel that they can put their prayer in at any time and God will give the answer. That's all prayer is all about. It's about putting in your prayer and out of the bottom will come your desired answer. But that is not what prayer is all about. And Jesus makes it very clear to the disciples. He says, pray, pray to them, pray. Why? Well, first of all, he says, pray to them, pray, because they did not know what traps were waiting for them. Jesus told them to pray, because they didn't know who was speaking about them. But Jesus knew. Jesus told them to pray, because they did not know what was going on in the spiritual realm. They didn't know what was going on in the unseen realm. And Jesus knew, and he told them to pray. What was going on? Let me show you. A few verses back, Jesus says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Jesus knew that somebody was trying to set some traps. Jesus knew that somebody was speaking about them. Jesus knew that Satan had plans and purposes. And he knew that Satan had a hold of his disciples and wanted to destroy all of them. In fact, he really had one of them. Remember Judas Iscariot? As soon as Judas took the bread, the Bible says Satan entered him. So Jesus told him, what you're about to do, do quickly. Even Judas Iscariot had the enemy 
all around him, even inside of him. And it's Satan's intention to destroy and to ruin that young church. Twice, Jesus tells the disciples, twice, pray, pray. Told them to pray. Why? Because a time of testing is coming. A time of temptation is coming. You will find yourself in the, in the courtyard and they will ask you, do you know Jesus? And you will say, no, I don't know him. A time of testing is coming. For therefore, Simon, pray, he tells them. Because Satan wants to damage your faith. And even though a time of sorrow was upon them, Jesus encouraged them, you must pray. You must call upon the name of God. Don't fall asleep. Wait here and pray. Now, I certainly believe that Jesus, if he was speaking to the church this morning, if Jesus could be preaching to you this morning, he will tell you this morning to pray. He will tell the first disciples to pray, but he also will tell you to pray. Why? Because you do not realize what danger you are in. You might think there's peace and safety in your life. You might think that everything is leisure and relaxation. But I want to tell you, Satan is working overtime to destroy the church of Jesus Christ. Satan is working overtime to destroy your faith. He doesn't want you to love God. He doesn't want you to follow Christ. He doesn't want you to pray. He is working overtime. I can guarantee you that every Sunday I preach, I can guarantee you that Satan is always around listening to what I'm saying and waiting to take the word of God from your heart. Sometimes I see people sleeping in my preaching. And I realize that probably they've got the old enemy playing a nice tune in their ear and they're fast asleep. You see, he's working overtime. And Jesus will turn around and say, prayer is so important. Why? Three reasons why prayer is so important. First of all, it makes us sensitive to evil. We become aware that evil is around. We become aware that sin is around. We become more aware when we start to pray. Secondly, prayer is important because it shows how weak we are. Anyone who prays, oh God, I'm thank you that I'm so strong, will find out very shortly how weak he really is. Prayer reminds us and shows us just how weak we are. Oh God, I cannot do this without your strength. And that brings me to my third point. Prayer reminds us that God is the one who's strong. God is the one who's able to strengthen you. God is the one who's able to give you what you need to fight temptation. Only God. And that's why prayer is so important. And God and the, the, um, the disciples wasn't praying. But Jesus says to them, pray. Pray. Because he knew, he knew that Satan was after them. Sadly, many non-Christians do not see any need to pray. If you ask a non-Christian, stop them in the street and you ask them, do you believe in God? 
they will say, no, I don't believe in God, as if they're proud of it. I don't believe in God, as if it's a badge of honor. I don't pray, no, not me. I don't believe in God, they will tell you. You know, I can remember um, sitting in the doctor's surgery and, and sometimes you can sort of like play or smile at little children in a doctor's surgery. You can't do that very often. You might, get, you might get arrested. But, you know, there's little children in the nursery sometimes and, and you see them and you, you smile at them. And they might smile back at you. And you smile back at them again and then they get embarrassed and then they cover their eyes like this. And they think, in their small mind, they think, if, if I don't see you, you can't see me. Or they close their eyes and they think, if I close my eyes long enough, and when I open my eyes again, you'll be gone. And when they open your eyes, you're still there smiling at them. And they say, mommy, that strange man, he's still looking at me. You know, modern man is like that. Modern man thinks to himself, if I close my eyes and pretend God doesn't exist, if I shout it loud enough, say it hard enough, believe it as much as possible, guess what? God will just disappear. But when they open their eyes, God is still looking at them. Not only that, the devil is laughing. The devil is rubbing his hands like that and saying, great, I'm so glad they don't believe in God. Because if they start believing God, they will start praying. And I don't want them to pray. Because I don't want them to know that I'm out to just to ruin their lives. Better not get them praying. Better keep on letting them believe that there is no God. What do we do? What do you do when your friends are not praying? What do you do when your work colleagues are not praying? What do you do when your mother is not praying? What do you do if your father is not praying? What do you do when your brothers and your sisters are not praying? What do you do if your children are not praying? What do you do? What you do, what Jesus does. Look what the Bible says. But I have prayed for you. Jesus said, Peter, you may not be praying for yourself. You might be sleeping when I'm praying. But Peter, I want you to know this morning that I am praying for you. Even though you are not praying for yourself, I am praying for you. And I want to say to you this morning, even though your brother and your sister is not praying, you have to pray for them. You have to stand in the gap for them. Even if your mother is not praying, then you have to be the one to call your mother's name in heaven. Maybe no one else is calling your mother's name. Maybe no one else is calling your brother's name. Maybe no one else is calling your father's name. It might only be you and you might get into heaven and say, oh God, they're not praying for themselves. My children are not praying for themselves. But oh God, I'm here. I'm here. And I'm praying for my children. I'm praying, oh God, for my, my wife. I'm praying for my, 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 my father and my mother. I'm standing in the gap for my family. Because Jesus, when Peter wasn't praying, Jesus said, Peter, 
I've been listening. I know what's going on. And I, I have prayed for you, Peter. Even though you're not praying for yourself. Do you know what Jesus is doing in heaven this morning? He's not sitting back, chilling out, you know, waiting for the time to come back. Do you know what Jesus is doing this morning? Let me show you what Jesus is doing this morning. Therefore, he's able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. That word intercede means he always lived to plead. He always lived to pray. He's always lived to intercede for them. Jesus this morning is praying for Golding's church. Jesus Christ this morning is praying for you individually. He's praying for me as I preach. He is praying constantly interceding. That's what the Bible tells me Jesus is doing. Maybe you don't pray for yourself. Praise God that Jesus is praying for you. Praise God. And so, my first point then is neglected prayer. And these men, they neglected praying. So let's go on to my my second point because I want to talk about needful prayer. Because after thinking about the disciples falling asleep, Jesus leaves them. He goes about a stone's throw away, the Bible tells me. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. You're not my will, but yours be done. Some people are confused as to what Jesus meant I asked him, take this cup from me. You see, Jesus knew exactly what was going to take place on the cross. He had no mistake about the horrors that await him on the cross. You know, we see the physical pain ourselves. We see the nails going into his flesh and bone and we winch and cringe because we can feel that what we will feel like if someone took our flesh and drove nails into it and our bones are, are parting and crushing, we think, oh, that is so horrible. But Jesus does not pray, Lord, if it's willing, if you're willing, take this cross from me. He didn't say that. He didn't say, oh, if you're There was no cup actually in the garden, but figuratively, what was he speaking about? Let me tell you what he was speaking about. You may not know, some of you may, but let me tell you what he was speaking about. Isaiah says this, awake, awake, rise up, Jerusalem. You who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath. The cup of his wrath. Wrath. Let me tell you something. God, He's angry with sin. God is desperately angry with sin. 
Sin ruins everything. Sin ruins relationships. Sin ruins health. Sin, everything sin touches. It ruins and destroys. And I want to tell you, God is angry with sin. He is full of wrath with sin. He hates sin with a vengeance. And all of that hatred, all of that anger, God has taken and poured it into a cup. Every disgusting sin you can imagine. Raping young children. Pedophilia. Every filthy sin that makes us angry. God himself is angry over every sin. And he takes his anger and he pours it into a cup. And somebody has to drink that cup. Somebody has to take full responsibility for it. Somebody has to bear the sin of the world. Somebody has to drink it. And it was in that garden that Jesus seized that cup afresh. He always knew it was coming. But it was in the garden that he sees that cup afresh. And the Bible tells me an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. The Bible says an angel came down and strengthens him. And as he got strength from the angel, he carries on praying, Oh God, oh God, take this cup from me. The fear was great. Too many people think Jesus went to the cross with a hop, skip and a jump. But they forget that Jesus went to the cross And as he stood on the Mount of Transfiguration and his glory and his deity was seen, when he's in the garden, his humanity is seen. And there he is crying out, Oh God, take this cup from me. I do not want to be separated from you. I do not want to have the sin of the world upon me. But oh God, if it's your will, take this cup from me. If you could only see him praying this morning, you would know the horrors of the cross. My dear friends, death is bad enough. But being separated from God is awful. He cries out on the cross, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. Which being interpreted in the Bible from Mark's gospel, he cries out, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? You see, he was separated from God. Listen to me carefully. He was separated from God so that you will never be separated from God. He was separated from God so that you will hear God say to you, I will never leave you, neither will I forsake you. 
he drank that cup so that you will never have to drink that cup yourself. He put, he paid the price, the full price, so that you will have nothing to pay. That is what Christ has done. In the garden, you see a king who is suffering. You see a king who's saying, I will drink that cup, Lord. Do not let those in Golding's church drink it. I will be separated from you, God. Do not allow them in Golding's church to be separated. I will pay the price in full. That is what Christ said when he said, Lord, if it's possible, take this cup from me. But let me just finish and bring this sermon to an end. Neglected prayer, needful prayer, humble prayer. You see, back to Jesus praying, if you are willing, take this cup from me. But praise the Lord, he didn't end that prayer there. He said, yet, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. After all the anguish of praying, after all the sweat of praying, even when the angel came down and strengthened him that he can pray even more, at the end of all of that praying, he cries out, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. It's very interesting that most people always want their will to be done. I'm so glad that Donald Trump was in the garden praying. I have to mention him because Donald Trump is a man who will tell you anything you want to hear as long as he gets into the White House. And it's a strange thing that he in himself shows what we all can be like. We all want to get our own way, our own will. I'm so glad that Donald Trump was in the garden praying that day. But I'm so glad that Jesus was there. Because when Jesus cried out, Lord, take this cup from me, he adds on, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. And do you know why he obeyed? Do you know why he said that? Why, even though the cup, figuratively speaking, was there in the garden, that cup of God's wrath, I wish I can preach it, just cannot get you to understand the, the horror of that cup. I wish I can preach it better than I, I have done. But there it was in the garden. And yet he still said, not my will, but your will be done. Why? Because Jesus knew that God was asking him to do something because of a deep Deep, deep love for men and for women that have ever walked this face of the earth. Jesus knew that God was asking him to do something because of a deep, deep love for all the men that ever lived and for all the women that ever lived and for all the men that will ever will live 
and for all the women and children that will ever will live. Jesus knew that God had a deep, deep, deep love for them. And so we have this verse in the Bible, we must not ever make light of it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have everlasting life. Look at the first few words. God so loved the world. And Jesus would cry out, God, because you love the world so much, I am willing to go to the cross. Because you love the world so much, I am willing to take the nails on that cross. Because you love the world so much, I am willing to drink the cup. Drink it so that there's nothing left for anyone else to drink. Because you love the world so much. And this suffering king is still bringing many men and women to God. Let me apply this in two ways as I close. Dear friends, you may still be outside the family of God. You may still be outside from the presence of God. And Jesus is saying to you this morning, don't stay there, come inside. Come in. Repent from your sin. Come in and allow me to drink your punishment. Allow me to take the wrath of God that's directed to you and to your sin. Allow me to take that. Just come in. Repent from your sin and I will give you grace and strength that you will live and walk in power as a Christian. Come and I will take the wrath of God for you. That's what he will say. But I can apply it as well to Christians and that's many of you here. Come here every Sunday morning. It's great to see you. I want to ask you a question. How much do you really love Jesus? How much do you really value what he did for you on that cross? How much are you aware of the wrath of God directed to sin? That should have been directed to you. But praise be to God, someone stepped up. Praise be to God, somebody said, I will take that cup. Somebody said, I will drink it for them. And you are the great recipients of the grace of God. How much do you love Jesus? For he has given everything. Not only as a suffering king in the garden. But as we will see in the coming weeks, as a dying king on the cross. And he says to men and women, old and young, Christian and non-Christian, he says to you all, come to me. And I will take the wrath of God on myself that you might go free. Glory, glory to God. Let's pray.
Lord, the Bible says we love you because you first loved us. Father, we haven't come up here and saying we loved you, we, we worship you, you're, you're the best. We haven't said that first. Lord, you have said it first to us. You said to us, you're the best. I love you. You're worth dying for. And we love you because you first loved us. And I thank you for your love. And I pray today that by your spirit, Lord, you will make the gospel live. Oh God, there's so many messages that are empty in our world today. But here's a message that is alive. Oh God, by your spirit, stir our hearts that we too might become alive to you. Oh God, I never want to be separated from you, oh God. I never want to hear the words, depart from me, I never knew you. But Lord, I want to be able to be joined to you for all eternity. Because one, one has been already separated. One, even your son, cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He has already been separated. Oh, God Almighty, because of his separation, may every person here be joined to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.